Good morning, Calvary. Good morning to our online listeners as well, and um, happy Father's Day. Um, we do know that Father's Day is a celebration for some, it's difficult for others, but we are wanting to acknowledge the fathers um, in the room and thankful for what you do. And uh, moms, if you're looking for a last-minute Father's Day gift, I have a suggestion for you. Give them what he really wants. So this afternoon, give him eight hours of uninterrupted time with his kids, okay? And if that means you have to go take a nap, you're going to be tempted, but go take that nap, and then if you have to leave the house and go get with some other moms for dinner, but, but what, he, what he really needs is that eight hours of uninterrupted time with his kids, and so I challenge you to do that. Father, step up and be a father. We're thankful for you. Your kids need you. As we continue to talk about this, uh, keep going through the lessons. Very appropriate. Today is Juneteenth. I want to celebrate uh, Juneteenth. And right there, some people are like, yay, Juneteenth. Some people are like, what's the big deal? And we should celebrate Juneteenth because it is a celebration of freedom. It is a celebration of the righting of some wrongs. But when we talk about that, sometimes different feelings come to take place. And the reason that is is because evil is in the world. There is evil in this world. So as we're talking about all of the way God wants us to align ourselves with his heart, we're actually talking about, as we're going through the book of Malachi, today's lesson happens to be on injustice, injustice. And so we're going to talk about dispute number four, where the Israelites are complaining that God is not a just God. And as we talk about that, I want us to encourage you, we as the church usually do justice from two extremes, and I, I think there's a middle ground. So if you'll bear with me, I want us to to unpack as we walk through this what is a biblical definition of justice. But before we get there, I want to set up Malachi a little bit more in case you're new. Maybe you joined us for the first week from Vacation Bible School. We're really glad you're here. We loved having your kids this week. It's a joy to invest in them. Malachi is walking us through this idea of Israel, which is the Old Testament version of the church, and they're mad. They're mad because they aren't getting their way. They're mad because life is hard, and they're complaining to God. And so there's this these disputes that kind of break out between his church and God. And, and that sounds funny. So you have to think of it, the Old Testament church, Israel, is kind of like the three-year-old toddler is what we said. And as we've gone through it, here's been the pattern that's been unwrapping every single week. God says, you're not doing this well, church. And the church goes, oh yeah, and stomps her foot and goes to the room. And then makes a lame excuse, and God goes, okay, I'm still good. I'm going to tell you what you need to hear even if you don't want to hear it, because my way is good. So these aren't easy, necessary lessons, but they're important. So today we're talking about the fourth dispute here as we tackle justice and injustice. Malachi 2.17, the last book in the, New in the Old Testament before we get to the New Testament. Here's what it says. You have wearied the Lord with your words. This is God saying this. You have wearied the Lord with the words, yet you ask, how have we wearied him? When you say... Everyone who does what is evil is good in the Lord's sight, and he is delighted with him, or else, where is God's justice? There were a lot of problems back then, too. And every generation probably thinks, that can't get any worse, right? And then the next generation gets and has its own problems, its own difficulties. But at this time, the church was sitting there going, God, if you are so good, why is there evil? And why does it seem like the evil people are having so much success? Anybody? I don't understand how you could allow evil to prosper. So here's how this dispute breaks down. God says to Israel, 
you need to stop blaming me for injustice. I'm not the reason that evil exists in this world. But Israel asks, how have been blaming you for injustice? And God says to them, you have assumed that when evil prospers, I am for evil. Let us be clear. God is not for evil. Ever. God is not for evil. And so they were sitting there going, okay, then what about why is there the problems? And the answer to that is because of sin. Sin is in the world. That's why there's evil. God allows us the freedom of choice to serve him, to follow him. But by not following him, we do sin. And when we do sin, we live for ourselves. And when we live for ourselves, evil abounds and it breeds and breeds more evil. But God doesn't leave us there. So Malachi is the story of hope. So in Malachi 3.1, we see the foreshadowing of Jesus where it says, See, I'm going to send my messenger and he will clear the way before me. The Lord your God will, su will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant you delight in, so that's the relationship with God you delight in, see he is coming, says the Lord of armies. So during this time, about 400 years is about to pass before the coming of Christ. 400 years is a long time, right? So 400 years ago would have been 1622, if my math is correct, right? Some, somebody, yeah, okay, okay, good. And as you're thinking about that, I there's pressure on the stage, y'all. Um, as you're thinking about that, you realize that as Malachi is writing that, he's saying, hang on, God is coming, and none of the people that originally heard this would have been around when Jesus came. And sometimes it can feel like, God, if you're so good, why is my generation? God is bigger than this one generation. God has a master plan, and all of history is really his story as it unfolds between you and me as we're bringing us back to the idea of what it looks like to walk and dwell with the presence of God. So he's saying, I'm coming. There will be hope. And in fact, Jesus did come. He did come and make a way. The Savior of the world is coming. Justice is coming. And here's the good news. He did come. He came and he died on a cross. And when he died on a cross, he was perfect. He was the definition of what is just. He did not sin. And when he died for us, he took on our sins, our mistakes. And when they buried him in that ground and they raised him from the grave, and when he rose from the grave, and when he ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit came back with us, and we're allowed to walk with him and dwell with him. And then we get to have peace in the middle of the storm. We get to have joy in the midst of chaos. We get to have hope in the middle of hopelessness. Church, do you hear the good news? But here's the problem. Even though we have peace in the middle of the storm, the storm's still happening. And there's times when we can let the storms get a hold of us, and we can, we can have a, a false view, and we can sit there and go, God, if you're so good, why is this going on? So we dive in. We dive in trying to do what we're supposed to do. Now hear me. We, church, should stand up for what is just. But do you realize how overwhelming that is? Let me just put on my pastor's heart perspective. If you watch the news, some of you might be wondering what the news is. That's what old people do at 6 o'clock at night, okay? Some of you are like, oh, that, that hurt. Um, <laughs> 
But when they watch the news, uh, some of you just go to your favorite website and pull it up. When they watch the news, here's what happens every single night. There's a litany of bad things happening in the world. And we, we somehow expect to go the next night and them saying, guess what? The economy's great. Guess what? No more wars. Guess what? No more injustice. Woo, that would be awesome. But that wouldn't be the news. And so we struggle and we agonize and we go, God, because we're taking in all. And so it, it allows us to become jaded. So what we end up doing is we end up diving in. And as a follower of Jesus, we should dive into justice issues. Why? Because God is just. But if I dive into every justice issue, do you realize that's all I would be doing? So there's two kind of extremes of pastors in the world. One who basically use every Sunday morning to talk about justice issues. And the other, the ones who don't ever talk about justice issues. I think there's a middle ground. I think it's actually biblical the way we're supposed to do it. And here's why. When we chase after God, when we come into the presence of His holiness, when we come into a right understanding of what it looks like to be His son or daughter, we will care what God cares about. You see, you and I were made in the image of God. It's called the Imagio Dei. And because you were made in the image of God, you have dignity, and so does your neighbor, and so does the one down the street. And as God looks out at humanity, he doesn't see accidents. He sees people who are made in his image, every tribe, nation, tongue, and creed. Amen? And so when we stand up for injustice, what we're doing is we're trying to lift up the image, the respectability, the worth, the value back into the restorative place where they feel whole and complete. Here's the problem. You can't feel whole and complete without the Savior of the world. So maybe we need to stop trying to be the Savior of the world and point people to Jesus. I cannot address every injustice on social media. I wish I could. But God cares for it. I can't handle every topic that comes up in our school system or, or every topic that comes up in our county or every topic that comes up in our world, but, but God cares. So what does that look like for us to care for, to champion justice, but not to be overwhelmed? I can answer that very simply. How's your relationship with God? How's your time alone with God? I'm not just talking about showing up on every morning with your coffee cup with a scripture verse on it, opening your Bible, reading it, and then forgetting about it the rest of the day. I'm talking about the idea that when you seek after the presence of God, you long to be more like Him. You long to be in His presence because you understand that the purpose of this life is not about having a smooth and easy life where everything is just, but the purpose of this life is being with the one who is just. The purpose of this life is then carrying upon his burdens, carrying upon his will, aligning my measure of who I'm supposed to be with what his standard is and saying, God, if you care about this person, I'm going to care about this person. If you care about this cause, I'm going to care about this cause. But I can't save it all, but God, I will attempt to move the needle because you care for them. But first and foremost, God, help me not to forget that you must be my priority. See, what happened in the Old Testament here is the church thought they were good, and they thought everything around them was going great, and they looked around at the rest of them and go, God, why are you allowing all those 
people to do so good when we, holy and righteous, because we have our devotion every day and we show up to church once a week and we occasionally give you an offering, we're the good ones. And God says, you want justice, you better be careful what you ask for. Malachi 3, 2 through 4. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who will be able to stand when he appears? This is about the return of Christ, right? For he will be like a refiner's fire and like a launderer's bleach. He will be like a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi. In other words, he's going to start with the preachers. Uh-oh. And refine them like gold and silver. And then he, they will present offerings to the Lord in righteousness because they are now right or just with God. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem, that's you all, will please the Lord in the days of old and the years gone by. God is going to bring justice. But when he shows up, you better be careful because he's going to inspect every aspect of your life. Translation. Do you know why we stay angry at the injustice in this world? Because we don't deal with the injustice in our own hearts. The fruits of the Spirit are peace, patience, long-suffering, which is actually a good thing, right? Etc. We need to understand that our calling is to Dwell in the presence of God and let Him be our joy. Are you at rest in the presence of God? Are you at peace with His holiness? We need to stand up and do what is right. But we also need to spend first and foremost God. So is God just? Yes. Why is there evil? Because injustice happens when humanity sins. And we have to examine our own sins in our own lives. You see, injustice is not going away, yet we are to try to move the needle. We are to try to make amends. We are to try to... So the tension is not being overwhelmed with the fact that we can't fix everything and the fact that this world will be full of injustice and chaos no matter what we do, no matter how we vote, no matter what political party you're associated with. Come on. No matter where you actually go, no matter what you actually do, injustice will be here. I'm not going to be overwhelmed, but I'm not going to quit. And in fact, we are called to take a stand as God does. So Malachi 3, 5-6 says, I will come to you in judgment, and I will be ready to witness against the sorcerers and adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker, the widow, the fatherless, and against those who deny justice to the resident alien, they do not fear me. He's talking to the church and accusing them of doing all of these things. Because I, the Lord your God, have not changed. You descendants of Jacob have not been destroyed. You see, Jesus came to justify us, to make us just. And that's where our justice should start. Translation. You can't claim to be pro-life and treat your waitress rudely. You can't claim to be pro-marriage while addicted to porn. You see what I'm saying? We pick and we choose our issues. We, we justify, and it's not just, our sins. 
by comparing, comparing them to others. And, and then what happens is the church is a group of saints that gather together that commiserate on how evil the world is while celebrating and sharing the same sin. You want to take a stand for God? You've got to come before him and let him be the refiner's fire, calling out and purifying the injustice in your own heart instead of being constantly angry at the, uh, the rest of the world's injustice. Deal with what's within. Because then as you are refined, you become more and more like the image of God. You will know how to stand, where to stand, and where to go. We measure our faithfulness by God's standard by being in the presence of Guys, this is not easy, but it's well worth it. Why? Because Jesus came to justify us, and, and justify it is, means to make right what is wrong. He came to give us hope and joy. And so when even chaos is abounding, we can have peace. We aren't constantly angry at the world. But here's the good news, too, with that. Jesus will return again, and all will be right. Justice is coming. Church, if there's anything to be excited about, it's the fact that one day there will be no more pain. There will be no more injustice. There will be no more suffering. Justice is coming. Amen. So as we have an eternal perspective, we long for that day. But in the meantime, we seek the presence of God and then stand up and live for him. Matthew 24, 42 through 44, which is clearly not in Malachi, but I want to read these verses anyway. It says, Therefore, be alert, since you don't know what day your Lord is coming. But know this, if the homeowner had known what time the thief was coming, he would have stayed alert and not let his house be broken into. This is why we are to be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. This is why we are to be ready. Because we do not know when he's going to come. So we will stay vigilant, caring about what God cares about, and trying to make the world a better place, but first and foremost by standing in the presence of God. Now, that was the easy part. Caution. As we stand up for God with justice, I need to warn you of something. What you sometimes call justice isn't actually justice and can be an idol. From which side? The other side? No. Your view of the world. Because our hope is not in a political party. So let, let me just give you a, a silly example of how this may work, right? <laughs> right? Let's say, I don't know, you have red hair. Random, random example here. And let's say they make it a law that redheads can't go into certain stores. And redheads can't drink in certain fountain, water fountains. Now, if you have red hair, I don't know who would have red hair, but I love my redheads in the room, that might really, really anger you. And can you see why that would? I mean, I have red hair. God gave me the red hair. That's who I am. I should, but what can happen is I can allow that to take root in my heart and the bitterness, and that's all I think about. That's all I'm consumed with. That's all I'm about. And then that's the only issue I stand up for is redheads. I become a champion of redheads. Now, here's the problem with that. When I only care about the issues that affect me, I'm not caring about other people, and I'll attempt to bowl over other people to get in their lives. Now, some of you are about to say amen, but let me caution you. I'm coming to you from the other end now. 
you want to make a difference in this world, then you should be the one who advocates for the redheads at the gas stations to be able to go in. Redheads need polar pops, people. It's a proven fact. You should be the one that says, I'm not going to allow people to treat you poorly because this person is made in the image of God. In fact, the way that justice needle moves the quickest is not when you stand up on the issues that are actually affecting you, but when you step into the, the shoes of another person, when you step into the realm of another world, and you say, I'm going to advocate for the glory of that person to be in the presence of God. Because there is no glory for any of us apart from the presence of God. And so, you're suffering, I'm there with you. You're struggling, I'm there with you. And no political party, and no other means, it's simply me, God, and you. You and I are made in the image of God. Amen. And when we don't do that, what we will naturally do is focus on the issues that affect us people that is not justice that is focusing on just us you know what i'm saying justice can never be just about us and what we get justice is about the imagio day and bringing that person into the presence and the right standing of god now this is difficult because it requires all of us to look deep within our souls all of us to look deep within our time with God and say, God, if I'm being selfish, if I'm trying to live for just the things I care about, God, show me what you want me to be. And then challenge yourself to step up and advocate and stand for the people who are suffering in this world while aligning it with the measure and the truth of God's word. So, yes, we stand up for pro-life issues. But we aren't mean. Yes, we stand up for God's view of marriage in love. But we don't do those things while ignoring the sins in our life and ignore the ways that we violate those same principles and other aspects of them. You see what I'm saying? As we follow God, we measure our life by Him. This is not easy. I would much rather be preaching another sermon. <laughs> Is that too real? But as we're preaching through God's word, I need to tell you, you will be accountable for the way you live. And I want to encourage you, you don't have to let the world dictate how you live. Jesus did not come for you to be angry and bitter all the time. Give your injustices to him. Seek him and stand up for what he views as holy. That's how you find peace. So how do we do that? Well, one way that we measure our view of injustice is through repentance. If we truly believe in justice, then we will desire to be just in God's eyes. So here's our daily training for the week, and then I'm going to set up communion a little bit longer today. Our daily training is pray at least once a day. God, show me from what I need to repent. God, show me how I'm, I'm wrong. <laughs> Every time I do that, it's like God, it's like a, a horror show flashes across my eyes. I'm like, I didn't do, oh, I did. Oh, no, I, oh. It's not fun, but God is good. 
and reminding yourself that God heals you and loves you. And man, that's a wonderful place to be. Can I encourage you, church, to repent? And then one way to do that, too, as we kind of segue now into a time of communion, I'm going to set this up a little bit longer. Not long ago, we did a series on why we do what we do, what's behind the Sunday morning. And one of the things that we do monthly here is we take communion. And when I realized that the communion was going to hit today, I was like so excited because I cannot think of a better sermon for this. But I want to do a little deeper dive into communion real quick before we take it to remind us how good God is. You see, Jesus, when he came to this earth, lived a completely just life. And as we take this, we are reminded that his body was broken for us and his blood was poured out for us. It is symbolic of the just being treated unjustly, willingly, for the benefit of us all. Did you get that? It's not about my rights. It's not about you treat me well. It's not about it's I lay down my life for the benefit of you. And that's one step. One reminder of this. But there's another step. Another uh, history lesson I need to, to inform you about that you may not be aware of because we don't practice this in the day. But the disciples in that upper room would have readily picked up on this. You see, the disciples in the other room, when they were having communion, were aware of the marriage practices of the day. Let me catch you up on the way the marriage practices of the day were back then, because they didn't have social media and texting and all the kind of wonderful ways that we do that today. E-harmony, not yet around, okay? Maybe e-tablet, I don't know. But as they were doing that, what ended up happening was a lot of times the weddings were kind of attempted to be matched by the parents. So there was a dowry, and they, there was a negotiation. And then if the negotiations between the families went well, the bride and the groom potentially, uh, the potential bride and the groom were brought into a room. And somewhere along the line, after meeting and talking, it would be up to the groom. Remember, marriage is symbolic of our relationship with God, right? It would be up to the groom at some point to say, oh, I think I want to marry you. Now, he didn't pop out a ring back then. They didn't do that. Instead, what he did was he would pour a glass of wine and set it across the table. And that was indicator of, hey, want to marry me? And at what point, if she didn't drink of it, it was like, shut down, bro. You know, that's all good. Now, why didn't the guy use words? Because he's a man and they're chicken, Okay. Men use words. Women like that. But anyways, like sitting across the table, and so he'd put that glass there, and he'd say, do you want to drink of this? And at some point, if she drank it, it was like, oh, we are now united in marriage from now into eternity. In other words, we're engaged, betrothed. But the wedding didn't happen right away. Instead, what would happen is the groom would take his body boop, 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 and go home. And he would prepare a place. Church, do you see where I'm going? He would prepare a place for the two of them to spend the rest of their lives together. Now, it could take three weeks. Or if you're married to someone like me, it could take three years, right? But he would work hard and try to get the building ready. And the bride would not know when he was coming. But she had taken of the cup. And so she was wedding ready. And she was to prepare her life reminding he's coming back he's coming back 
He's coming back. I can't get distracted by the pressures of this world. I can't get distracted by the gossip down the street. I can't get distracted by whatever drama is going on. I have to prepare because the groom is coming. So when Jesus was with the disciples in the upper room, he said, I will return. And whenever you take this, remember, I'm coming back for you. My body will come back to you. I will come. I'm going away to prepare a place. But church, justice is coming back. The relationship is coming back. Eternity is coming. So while there are problems while we wait, let us not get distracted. We live for the glory of the King. So as we celebrate communion today, we're going to do so with a little bit of a celebration time. Um, But I want you to see how good God is. And I want you to think as our deacons come on forward, I want you to to think about as we take the cup and as we take his body and as we take this, hold on to this. As they they pass it around, you're going to hold it out onto it till it's fully around. But as you take that and as you allow this to come into your life, I want you just to think, Lord, what do I need to confess? God, help me to have an eternal perspective. And let's celebrate that, Lord. If you have a relationship with Jesus, you are encouraged and invited to participate today. If you don't, we ask you just to kind of sit this one out as it passes us along. We're not going to judge you. We'll appreciate that. But as you continue to do that, we ask that you would be glorified. I think we need one more on this side. So God, would you take this time this morning? Would you bless us? Would you help us to, to follow you, to trust you, to be guarded by you and guided by you? Spirit, would you move even right now? Thank you that you are coming again thank you of the certainty of the message of what it looks like to follow you we rejoice in your holy name we pray amen